Good morning, Alex and friends. I'm Connie. Today is Wednesday, September 20th, 2023, and you're listening to Alex's News. Starting off with the weather forecast for Riverside, the high today will be 77.9 degrees with a low of 63.5, a pleasantly warm day in September. Now, let's have a quick look at our main stories for this episode. Firstly, Ukrainian President Zelensky delivers a powerful speech at the UN, shedding light on Russia's weaponization tactics. A story certainly worth a listen. Next, we have reports from Riverside County where the CARE Act is being implemented, a vital step towards providing mental health support and preventing homelessness and incarceration. Then, our attention shifts to our national defense. We'll delve into the immense challenge, cost, and geopolitical implications associated with maintaining America's aging nuclear weapons. Finally, we end on an economic note. Swiss medtech giant Ipsamed has signed a long-term supply deal with Novo Nordisk for auto injectors. This move meets the increasing demand for the weight loss drug. A packed day ahead, listeners, and we're just getting started at Alex's News. Stay with us. We lead with a powerful speech by President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine at the United Nations General Assembly, where he accused Russia of weaponizing various elements of the war against Ukraine. Joining us now to dissect this important development is our correspondent Elias. Hello, Elias. What was the principal message of Zelensky's speech? Hello, Connie. Zelensky's main message focused on Russia's multifaceted warfare strategy. He alleged that Russia has used food, energy, and even children as weapons in its conflict with Ukraine. He pointedly warned world leaders that such tactics could be employed against other nations, stressing unity and the need to confront aggression. That's quite an assertion. Did Zelensky provide specific examples of these tactics? Yes, quite a few, Connie. One of the most alarming accusations was the alleged abduction of tens of thousands of Ukrainian children by Russia. Zelensky claimed that these children have been taught to despise Ukraine and are separated from their families. He also underlined the significant disruptions in global supply chains, especially energy transmission from Russia to Europe, leading to considerable economic hardships. It sounds like an urgent situation. What are the potential ramifications if this situation escalates? Well, if left unchecked, this could have serious implications, not just for Ukraine but also for the international community, Connie. The economic ripple effects from disrupted supply chains, rising food and energy prices could be felt worldwide. Furthermore, if the abduction allegations are true, this presents a considerable human rights issue. What about Zelensky's comments regarding the role of the United Nations? Zelensky criticized the United Nations for its perceived inaction, particularly the fact that Russia remains a permanent member of the UN Security Council despite its actions. His primary appeal was for a united front against Russia's aggression. He also expressed concern about a potential reduction in support from Ukraine's allies, his country has been countering Russian forces for three months now and is witnessing its arsenal depleting with defense contractors 
Unable to ramp up production to meet demand. To mitigate this, President Joe Biden has asked Congress to approve an additional $24 billion in military and humanitarian aid for Ukraine. So it seems like the timing of this speech is quite significant? Indeed, Connie. While the war has been universally condemned with sanctions imposed on Moscow, some global powers, including China and India, are maintaining neutral positions. This speech comes at a time when Ukraine strives to maintain international backing for its fight against Russia. It's also well noted how President Zelensky has evolved from his previous life as a comedian and actor to a wartime leader. Absolutely, Connie. Visiting wounded Ukrainian soldiers at a hospital recently, Zelensky demonstrated a strong commitment to both his country and its people truly emerging as a wartime leader. Thank you, Elias, for that detailed analysis. We will continue to follow this story as it unfolds. Schedule break. Up next, we have story two of four. Stay tuned. Moving on to story number two in our lineup, we're taking a look at developments in Riverside County, California, where new protocols, going by the name of the Community Assistance, Recovery and Empowerment, or CARE Act, looks set to be in place from October 1st. This initiative is geared towards treating mentally ill individuals at risk of homelessness or becoming part of the criminal justice system. Grace, our news analyst, is here with the in-depth scoop. Grace, what's all the buzz about? Good question, Connie. The CARE Act is centered around preventing mentally ill individuals are at risk from falling through the cracks of the social service system. Now, this can mean ending up homeless or in prison. So essentially, the CARE Act will provide avenues for treating these individuals. The protocols for this bill, officially called Senate Bill 1338, were signed into law last September and have taken up to now to be prepped for implementation. That's interesting, Grace. So how exactly does the system work? Can anyone refer these individuals to the so-called care court? Yes, Connie, exactly. The care court is the unit that will oversee each case, and the referrals can come from family members, social workers, even court employees. It's structured similar to other diversion programs, and it will set up these treatment plans for mentally ill residents. The Riverside University Health System Department of Behavioral Health will be the leading agency in responding to these cases, and people can begin a CARE Act case through different channels, such as referrals or personal applications. Quite a planned out system there. But Grace, what happens after these individuals are referred to the CARE Court? Interesting point, Connie. After a referral, treatment plans will be set up, and these plans will then use publicly available resources to customize their approach per individual. Regular progress hearings will be set up to make sure the treatment plans are effective. Any proceeding conducted under care court will be confidential to respect the individual's privacy. Confidentiality is much needed indeed. Now, will all counties in California implement similar protocols? Indeed, Connie. 
The state government has mandated that similar programs must be established across counties in California. These directives should be in place by December 2024. And in support of this implementation, the state legislature has allocated a whopping $39.5 million. That's quite an investment. What is the end goal of the CARE Act, considering the investment and resources being put into it? Well, Connie, the CARE Act is essentially an attempt to fix loopholes in the system. It seeks to prevent mentally ill individuals from ending up on the streets or in prisons without proper treatment and support. So essentially, by establishing the care court and allocating significant funds, the state hopes not only to improve the lives of the mentally ill, but also to prevent situations where society's most vulnerable fall through the cracks. A commendable initiative indeed. Thank you, Grace. You've certainly given our listeners a clear understanding of this important protocol. Always a pleasure, Connie. As always, all this information was sourced from Patch, City News Service, KTVU, and the Given Hour websites. Our third report of the day is a very critical one. It details the complexity surrounding the conservation of America's nuclear arsenal, a topic that's been making significant waves in recent news stories. To break it down for us, we have our specialist correspondent in matters of national defense, Elias. Elias, what can you tell us about what's going on here? Certainly, Connie. As you've mentioned, this indeed is a critical issue. U.S. nuclear weapons, some of which are more than half a century old, are up for some major overhauling. The U.S. government has put forth a plan to spend about $750 billion in the next decade to replace these antiquated systems. But the high cost is only a part of the story. There's also the intricate maintenance process. Interesting you should say that. What's involved in the maintenance process of these old warheads? ABC News recently gave us quite an insightful look into that process, Connie. Nuclear warheads are refurbished in a high-security factory in Kansas City, and the plutonium cores are hand-shaped in New Mexico, emphasizing the meticulous attention to detail required to keep these weapons safe and functional. But this report also underlines the certain challenges faced by technicians and troops in maintaining the older weapons operational until the new ones are ready. What kind of challenges are we talking about? How are these challenges affecting the maintenance and the modernization of these weapons? The Associated Press recently detailed the issues that technicians and military personnel are encountering, Connie. One of the most significant challenges is the dwindling workforce. It seems many younger technocrats are leaving for more rewarding opportunities in the private sector. Also, our scientists are relying on outdated blueprints and designs, considering the lack of recent explosive nuclear tests. So, there's a shortage of technicians alongside outdated information. What else is influencing this process? Alongside those challenges, the U.S. is planning to restart pit production. The pits, or plutonium cores of every nuclear warhead, are being stress-tested using computer models due to concerns around the aging process. Restarting pit production is seen as a move to ensure their reliability. 
Moving beyond the technical details, what potential political implications are involved in this, Elias? The potential political implications are indeed monumental, Connie. Critics argue that our current arsenal, standing at 1,550 active nuclear warheads by treaty, could fulfill U.S. needs. The debate is heating up whether the massive overhaul is necessary. Critics fear it could create a domino effect, prompting countries like Russia and China to expand their arsenals, leading to a potential arms race. So it seems there's quite a bit at stake here, both domestically and internationally. But is there anything else we need to consider? Perhaps something that might not be as obvious? Actually, yes, Connie. The AP report also highlights an increase in women entering the field, which is a significant change in this traditionally male-dominated sector. And let us not forget the proposed huge financial investment of $750 billion to replace nearly all components of the U.S. nuclear defenses, including intercontinental ballistic missiles, submarines, and stealth bombers. It's evident that this is a complex issue with many working parts. Elias, thanks for unpacking some of that today and bringing this significant matter to light. You're very welcome, Connie. It's a topic that bears watching as it carries substantial implications, both for the U.S. and the international community. We're moving forward to our fourth news story of the day, which is about a significant move in the pharmaceutical industry. Ypsimed, a Swiss medical technology firm, and Novo Nordisk, a Danish drug maker, have entered into a long-term supply agreement. Grace, could you give us some more insight into this deal? Absolutely, Connie. As reported by Reuters, Ypsomed has agreed to produce auto-injectors for Novo Nordisk. These are devices used for self-administration of drugs. This move is largely to support the increasing demand for Novo Nordisk's weight-loss drug business and to give the pharmaceutical services sector a boost. Interesting. So Ypsomed will be the production hub for Novo Nordisk's auto-injectors. Could you clarify what auto-injectors are to our listeners who may not be familiar? Of course. Auto-injectors are basically convenient, portable devices that allow individuals to inject themselves with medication. They are designed to make it safe and easy to deliver the drug, even outside of healthcare settings. They're going to be used here to administer drugs that treat metabolic issues. Well, that makes it clearer. The report also mentioned Novo Nordisk's weight loss drug, Wegovy. Can you tell us more about that and perhaps the impact the product is having on the market? Sure. Connie, Wegovy is indeed Novo Nordisk's weight loss drug, and it appears to be very popular. So popular that it's driving the need for more auto-injectors. As part of the deal, Ipsomed will also manufacture auto-injectors for Novo Nordisk's second-generation GLP-1s. Those are currently in clinical trials, and the company hopes to keep up with the growing demand. It sounds like this deal is pretty optimistic for both parties. Given the rising demand, Ipsomed is going to have to expand its manufacturing facilities. Can we expect any broader implications from this venture? Great point, Connie. This agreement is indeed very hopeful for Ipsomed, which has seen its shares surge 5% following the announcement. 
Not only is it expanding its manufacturing capabilities, but also exposing itself to the increasingly profitable obesity market. Analysts are predicting this market could be worth a whopping $100 billion by 2030. It's incredible to see the potential growth in the market. And when can we expect to see the fruits of this collaboration reflected in commercial sales? The agreement is expected to start influencing commercial sales around the 2025-26 financial year. So we'll be keeping an eye on that for the next couple of years. We certainly will. Thank you so much for these insights, Grace. My pleasure, Connie. That's all we have for now. Today's episode was made by Alexander King with GPT-4, GPT-3.5 Turbo, the Eleven Labs Text-to-Speech API, and the Google Cloud Text-to-Speech API. I hope you have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow, Alex.